This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to another episode of the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. It's Michael Levitt, and today I've got Jacob Badsgard from Disruptive Advertising. One, I love that name because it gives you a clue as to what type of work they do, uh, but they've grown this organization tremendously in a relatively short period of time. So, Jake, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. My pleasure, my pleasure. So, first off, Disruptive advertising, why did you launch the business? What was your motivation to get into this world and, and really push this stuff forward? Yeah, you know, the first few years of my career, <clears throat> I spent doing a web analytics implementation and consulting for, for Fortune 100 companies. And when I saw that the biggest companies in the world had no idea how to track their digital marketing and, and how to optimize uh, based on that data, I'm like, man, if the big guys aren't doing it, then I guarantee the small and medium-sized businesses aren't doing this either. And so I got introduced to marketing through data and what was working and what wasn't. And that, it, at least from the digital side, was all very, very trackable. Um, and so when I saw that opportunity, that's, that's when I decided, you know what, Let, let's do this. Let's go for it. And I remember uh, the first client that I picked up was uh, my employer while I was in college, actually, I reached back out to and kind of helped get things set up and going. And uh, they were about a 25 person shop at that point. And I said, Hey, you know, uh, what are you trying to accomplish? Said, Man, we want to grow our business. And we're getting some leads from Google and such, but we don't know how to get more. And, uh, and I said, you know what, let's, let's figure this out together. We actually connected their CRM with their advertising platform on Google. And we were finally able to see what leads were actually turning into revenue for them. And then in working with them for a couple of years, they were able to scale from 25 people to 350. Went from uh, having a sales team that managed a couple hundred leads a day to two, three, uh, or more thousand a day. And all of it was data-driven and it allowed them to scale and grow their organization and create a lot of jobs. And, and so I saw my opportunity um, I went into my network to see uh, who I could help out. And my first case was su such a success. It was like addicting. Um, I thought, man, I would love to do this for the, for the rest of my life. And in order to help more businesses do this, uh, I have needed to scale an organization around me in order to deliver that. That's some amazing growth um, in a very short period of time for those organizations. I've been with several startups and we've, I've had the fortune to work for organizations that started off with a handful of employees and now international thousands of employees and all that, but not in that quick of a turnaround time. That must have been an amazing thing to watch to see an organization just completely explode that way. Um, and, and obviously you, you noticed it and went, wow, this is euphoric. What, you know, how let's replicate this. Let's do yeah. this again. And it's, it, and because just by doing that and pointing people to, you know, the right way to advertise what they do, um, you're changing so many lives because these organizations are then growing and they need to hire people. And those people have families, they have, you know, things that they want to do, dreams and aspirations. And you basically had a big hand in creating something 
quite frankly, out of nothing. There wasn't, there wasn't an organization there. And then all of a sudden, kaboom, you've got this gigantic organization with you know, hiring all these salespeople that are just, you know, drowning in sales. It's, you know, you hear the phrase printing money. I mean, that's basically what that organization did. And I'm, I'm sure for everyone involved, yourself included, that, you know, looking at it, you, you probably thought, this is amazing. You know, what did we just land on here? It was, it was a fun and incredibly stressful experience going through all that. Because as you can imagine, with that speed of growth, uh, there comes a lot of challenges as well. And it's, you know, it's fun to figure those out, though. Well, yeah, the stress component is a huge thing because, uh, again, when you're an organization and you've got, you know, a handful of employees, you know, let's say 10 people or something like that, and it's small, you're getting things started, you're, you're learning how to work together, then all of a sudden you become, you know, bigger than, you know, many Fortune 500 organizations in that short of a period of time. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see where the stress would come in because showing, okay, what do I need to do? It, 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 this car is going faster than I know how to drive. And what, yeah. <laughs> and you're holding on and you're going, okay, what, what, what's going to happen? It's, you know, I don't want to say a roller coaster, but it probably feels that way where you're, you're like, okay, is this thing going to go off the rails? What, what do we need to do? So uh, with that organization and they had that kind of growth, um, just for the audience, you know, what did they do? What are some of the things that they did to help kind of mitigate that stress that they felt in those early days of that rapid growth? Um, what were some techniques that um, you saw that they used and things that you suggested to help them navigate that extreme success? Well, I think the techniques um, that I saw with them and that I've seen with many of the organizations that we've worked with now, um, last I looked, we've actually worked with over 2,000 organizations now, which is, uh, you know, just blows my mind. And what I've seen, those that do it well, uh, they, they empower themselves and the people within the organization to make decisions um, and that they are equipped with the right information to make good decisions. And so in these types of situations, uh, on the marketing and sales side, what I've seen is that there becomes these efficiency ratios in terms of cost to revenue output in both the sales and delivery teams, um, and, that, and that by keeping those ratios intact and whole, that scale can occur. And once those ratios become out of whack, that we might need to, hey, let's pause for a minute, let's figure this out, and then let's push. Um, and so to me, that's what I've found is it's good data um, that allows people to understand, hey, here's our targets, here's our goals that we're working towards, and here's the governing metrics and ratios that tell us if we're doing that in a healthy and productive way. And some of those things are cost to revenue ratios or labor ratios. Some of those are going to be NPS scores to make sure that, and as we scale, are our clients still happy, right? Um, are we still delivering the quality that we delivered at a smaller scale? And those are some of the things that really help provide the, it's the governor of sorts, uh, so that as growth is occurring, that it can, to a degree, you know, operate within a healthy degree. Yeah, I'm a big fan of managed growth when you can. Uh, but in, like in that particular situation, it's like, okay, you know, we, we, we found, you know, gold, we, we moved west and we found gold. Now, now what? And, yeah. and it's, it's a great problem to have. Uh, yes, stressful. But again, I, um, congratulations to you and everybody involved on that uh, to do it. So uh, a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs and, you know, they're trying to 
you know, get their product and service out there to be seen. And, you know, they always hear about different types of marketing, you know, whether it's through Google or Facebook ads or things like that. So if you have an entrepreneur that's, you know, starting out there in their early days and, you know, they've got a handful of clients and they're doing some things, what, you know, what are some of the things you do uh, to help them kind of guide where they should be spending their um, ad dollars to, you know, maximize um, exposure to what they're trying to accomplish? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things, Michael, that, uh, that I would really strongly highlight. Um, companies that operate with an abundant mindset always do better than those that operate with a scarcity mindset, um, speaking from the highest level, right? And both oftentimes end up shooting themselves in the foot anyway, because those that have this abundant mindset um, sometimes can, can try and grow themselves into the ground or lose a bunch of money. Um, in the process. And so there, there's two things that I would strongly recommend. Number one is what we just talked about, making sure that the metrics and ratios are in place to help govern that growth so that we know how, uh, how we can operate and how we can grow and what success looks like when we get there. Um, and so by having those metrics in place, it really uh, empowers us to do things the right way. Now, that being said, a lot of people in startup mode or earlier on in the business, it's how do we spend the least amount on marketing and grow and hit the numbers that we're looking for, when actually it's the exact opposite question that we should be asking. What's the most I can be spending on marketing within these ratios and numbers that are governing us to help grow the, grow the organization? The most successful organizations in the world are as such because of their ability to spend more on marketing than their competitors. And as long as it is governed by those ratios, man, you can really get after it. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen companies say, yeah, I want to grow and I need to get leads or I need to sell my products at this cost so that I can make the margin that I'm looking for today. And they discount that. And if we can hit these volumes, we can accept a lower margin, grow and do better financially and make a bigger impact. And, and what I see happening is because they're so driven by that scarcity mindset on this end of the spectrum is that they say, ah, I've got to stay within this threat. I can't spend more than this so that these things happen. And they fail to realize with volume, with scale and other things that can come into place that they might be shooting themselves in the foot. Biggest, uh, you know, simplest example that I see companies try to operate. Hey, I'm, uh, my driven, let's, let's say my company is driven by leads, people filling out the form and requesting and and a service or a product that we're going to then follow up and, and sell to them. Too often companies say, I only want to spend X amount per lead. Well, let's say that we can truly afford to spend $100 to get a new sale, Michael. Um, it's very common for me to hear people say, I only want to spend $10 a lead. Um, and they say that because they know on average, they're going to close one out of 10 people that they talk to. And, and my question is, well, doesn't that mean you're theoretically willing to spend $100 if everyone closes. Um, and what about the types of customers that are worth a lot more to you than the customers that are worth a lot less to you? Might you not be willing to spend more than $100 on those? And so what happens is when we say, I can only spend $10 a lead, they run out of marketing opportunity so fast that things plateau and they can't grow the business. And then they're wondering why. And when we actually look at things and say, hey, let's maybe not focus so much on that, if we hit volume and or if we can get more of the right types of customers and or a higher quality lead, well, now all of a sudden you might be able to spend three, four, five times what you thought you could on marketing to get those 
And now your, your business is even healthier and growing faster than it was before. Those are the biggest mistakes that I see actually across the board. Startup to enterprise companies oftentimes, and it's always synonymous with their plateauing of revenue is when they get stuck in that mindset. My first career was in public accounting and started in the mid 80s. And I remember you know, working with clients and when it, it always boggled me, even being an accountant and, you know, I used to make fun of the marketing people. I don't anymore. I truly, <laughs> truly love and appreciate the work and how how challenging and again, how, you know, wonderful it is, but, you know, you know, selling is serving and marketing is storytelling. And, uh, you know, I didn't really recognize that in my youth so, and I didn't recognize a lot of things in my youth, but we will keep that to another show. Uh, but yeah. one of the things that jumped out at me is when an organization sales started to drop and like, okay, well we have to, you know, start cutting some cost. You know, they went to the income statement and they said, okay, A for advertising. Okay, we need to cut that. I'm like, why are you cutting advertising? Because how is anyone going to know anything about you if you don't spend money on advertising? You know, maybe try some different pens, you know, buy the, you know, the store brand pens instead of the Bic ones, you know, you, there's other ways to find some efficiencies, but <laughs> ad, you know, advertising is not an area you want to cut because if no one knows about you, they're not going to buy from you. It, it's yes. as simple as that. It's, and that's, you know, that was in the eighties long before anything else. We had AOL and CompuServe, you know, we, we weren't talking about the stuff we have today. So it's, well, and that's where the, the huge surge of, of new businesses is coming from is that actually marketing and advertising used to be very challenging because the cost of entry was so much higher. Where now, you can get so targeted with a marketing campaign to a very specific audience with a very specific message um, through Google or Facebook or Instagram or whatever that is, and you don't even have to spend a lot of money to do it um, com in comparison to what it used to take to get that message in front of people. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of uh, good changes that have happened to address what you're talking about. Yeah, I remember paying for a Yellow Pages ad for the CPA firm that I worked for, um, and that was a big deal, and it was a pretty big expense. But then that was that was everyone's Google, and yeah. and now it's again the the entry fee to be able to do things is lower. But again, you you just mentioned it, you know, the targeting of things. Uh, I think entrepreneurs sometimes struggle with finding out who their customer is. You know, they don't necessarily know who they want to serve, which is an interesting situation because when you launch a business, whatever your field uh, it happens to be in, you should have a, an idea of who you want to have as a customer. So how do you help customers in that aspect? I'm sure you get some come to you and they say, well, yeah, I need to do Facebook advertising and Google ads and all that stuff. And they don't necessarily know who who they want as customers. Uh, what, what, how do you handle that? You know, it's definitely the minority that have that well-defined when they come to us. Um, what's more common is we want to help everybody, right? Um, anybody and everybody. Well, the reality is, uh, no, actually you don't. As an entrepreneur, one of the most painful lessons that, that I've learned is that there is absolutely such a thing as bad revenue. Um, the clients that take the most work are the biggest pain and pay the least amount of money. We've all been there right? Um, what we want are the ones that 
we provide the most value to that are typically a little lower maintenance and get great value and love working with us um, and that we're able to charge more as well. Um, where everybody's winning and getting what they're looking for. We all have those situations and nailing that down is actually the key to a successful marketing campaign and a successful business. Um, 80-20 rule is in full force and we typically get 80% of our revenue or profit from 20% of our customers for almost any business. And if we can really narrow down and, and define who that 20% is, we can really find the, the secret sauce that we need to grow that business. And so what, what we do and what I recommend is taking the time to build out buyer personas, uh, defining the types of, of clients or customers that we already have. And typically there's going to be a pretty wide range of them, but really then identifying, and these are the ones that <clears throat> work the best for us or that fit those criteria that we just discussed and being our ideal customer um, or client. And then once we have those nailed down, actually targeting them uh, is, is pretty straightforward at that point. And so going through the process of identifying who they are is critical. And one thing that I would strongly recommend is uh, oh, as a marketer, always take the time to talk to whoever's selling the most. <clears throat> and then, and in a, Smaller organization, the person that's doing the marketing and the sales could be the same person. And that's typically why they'll, when asked the right questions, we can get through that process pretty quickly. Um, what I too often see as the organizations grow is that marketing starts to make assumptions without consulting with the sales department and getting their feedback on what are the, what are the leads that you're the most excited to talk to and why? And what are the pain points that when you address them, cause people to take action and why? Um, and then letting that drive the marketing campaigns rather than marketers sitting in a room and trying to brainstorm what those things are. Typically, whoever's doing the most sales in the organization is the key to that information. Yeah, you, you hit on a ton of points. And the one thing that you know, resonates with me often is if you try to sell to everyone, you will sell to no one. Uh, yeah. You really need to narrow down your niche or as they say in Canada, niche. Uh, it just really really get an idea of who your buyer persona or your client avatar, it's called all kinds of different things. It's who, define your ideal client. Who are they? What, what's their pain points? What do they need? And really, really go from there. I want to touch briefly too on some of the endeavors you do now because of the success that you've had with your organization and how you're you know, giving back to the community and, and, you know, taking care of your employees and, and all of that. Cause I think that's a, that's a thing where many entrepreneurs, you know, definitely should focus on and have as part of their plan as they're growing their business, because it, it makes for a more well-rounded organization. So tell us a little bit about that. You bet. Our mantra at disruptive advertising is that we come in and we kick ass so that we can provide well for ourselves and our families and have enough left over to do awesome things in the community. Um, and so that's, that's the way that we approach our work is it's, we absolutely want our cake and we want to eat that too, Michael. Um, and so that's how we approach things. And I think that that is a reasonable ask of the universe. Um, and so what we do about that is every employee is empowered. We actually have a, um, what we refer to as a charity committee. Uh, every month, everyone can submit as many ideas as they would like uh, in order to get help and support on those types of things. Um, every manager and employee of the company is encouraged to understand what's going on uh, in the lives of people that work here, as well as the lives of those that are around them. 
in terms of our clients, their, you know, or their families are in the community. And we get a lot of submissions every month. And then we just allocate a certain amount of, as a percentage of revenue um, of how much we're going to contribute and, and get behind that. What we found is that uh, we get the best buy-in as people submit their ideas, not that we just, okay, who do we write the check to? It's typically what are we doing? And then the person that submitted the idea is actually in charge of spearheading that because um, they're the ones that are the most passionate about it. They go for it. Um, and it helps us all feel more bought in versus the company just writes checks to things all the time. And so it's very involved, uh, regularly serving in the community, donating to causes, and it always uh, surprises me how many people within, you know, our sphere of influence, uh, someone always just went through a, tra- a tragedy or a death or an accident or someone that's dealing with terminal cancer or um, that lost a, a child or all sorts of things that happen. And to be able to step in and step up in those moments and really provide uh, some support in many different ways, uh, including financially, but many other ways as well. You know, it's just very rewarding for all of us. And it keeps us, uh, keeps the big picture in mind. We come here, we kick ass so we can provide well for ourselves and for those around us in our families and in the community. And it kind of just helps keep those things in perspective. I love organizations that take care of themselves, which then makes them even better to take care of, you know, the clients and the community that they serve. So kudos to you and your entire team for making that, uh, you know, in my you know, background, of course, you know, with, with boundaries and burnout, uh, an important lesson that I learned after my burnout was you can't pour from an empty glass. So if you're taking care of yourself as an individual and also as an organization to make sure that you are mentally, physically, and financially strong, you're going to be able to give your absolute best to your clients day in and day out. And that's what your organization's doing. So congratulations and thank you for doing that. Yeah, we love it. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience today? And, you know, where can they find uh, more information about you and uh, tips and techniques and, and all of that? Yeah, you bet. So simplistically, uh, businesses come to us to get help advertising on Google and Facebook is primarily what we do. Uh, And they come to us because they either lack the bandwidth or the expertise and or both uh, to do so themselves. And uh, what's interesting is as you grow an organization, building a marketing team is complicated because depending on where you're at, you might need 0.8 of a developer and 0.6 of a designer and a 1.3 of a ad advertiser. Um, and so as an agency, that's why people come to us as we can, we've got the organization where we can fill those in exactly the way that they need to versus trying to overhire and, and build those things uh, in house as they scale and try to grow. And so that's, that's our solution. And those are the things that people come to us for. Hey, help us grow, uh, help us get it right on Google and Facebook. And if that's something that you'd like to get some feedback on, uh, if, if you've never done it before, we'd be glad to provide you a free strategy and consultation on what we'd recommend that you do, even if you don't work with us. And for businesses that are already advertising on Google and Facebook, we've developed a software that can audit exactly what you're doing in 30 seconds. Um, and we can give you a beautiful deliverable that says, here's exactly what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Either go fix it yourself or use us to go fix it. Um, and you can do that. Just go to disruptiveadvertising.com and reach out and we'd love to chat with you. 
And audience, we'll have that link and other things that we mentioned in the show notes today. So be sure to go check out Jacob's site and uh, they're an awesome organization. And, and anybody that knows me knows that I love supporting awesome organizations that make a huge impact for entrepreneurs and our community as a whole. So Jacob, thank you again so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing and, and for taking the time today to talk with my audience. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. My pleasure. And until next time, everybody, be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get as a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.